Well, you're listening to Understanding Christianity. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Cole. I'm the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also am an adjunct instructor of Old and New Testament at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. I wanted to give a follow-up to the most recent podcast I did on the distinction between law and gospel. I think there may have been a little bit of um, things that I I wanted to say that I didn't have a chance to say. And the first thing I want to say, and this is just going to be a brief podcast, um, I don't want to give the impression that I think John MacArthur or John Piper are false teachers. As a matter of fact, um, John MacArthur, I think, is one of the most solid Bible teachers of the past 50 years. I'm thankful for his faithfulness as an expositor and Christian leader. I believe he's shown more courage than most evangelicals, especially during the COVID lockdowns. He was at a voice of encouragement for me. Uh, he reminded me and gave me encouragement to remain open during COVID and to um, not just roll over and play dead if the governor gives a mandate. And so I think he has been a hero of the faith and I've learned so much from him and I use his commentaries and I've read a lot of his books. And so uh, don't get the impression that I think somehow John MacArthur is not a faithful Bible teacher because I believe he is. My only point in the last podcast is in the area of faith alone. I think that he makes a slight deviation from the reform view of sola fide. And like I said, I think he smuggles in the issue of surrender or commitment or even repentance as a requirement for justification. Now, again, this whole idea of surrender or committing or repenting, those are in the categories of sanctification. I also don't want to give the impression that we as Reformed Baptists, or especially me as a preacher, we don't preach repentance or the need for there to be fruit in the life of a professing believer. I'm very concerned about easy believism. I don't like it when people um, only focus on Jesus as Savior, but don't talk about Him being Lord. Um, I, I do believe we need to stress the Lordship of Christ. Um, I like A.W. Tozer's quote. He says, The Lord will not save those whom He cannot command. He will not divide His offices. You cannot believe in a half Christ. We take Him for what He is, the anointed Savior and Lord, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. In Reformed theology, we present Jesus as both Savior and Lord. As a matter of fact, we have the threefold office that we present Christ as, as prophet, priest, and king. Uh, again, we, we don't downplay the need to recognize or submit or surrender to the Lordship of Christ. We just understand that as being part of sanctification and not linked to the constituent definition of faith being faith alone. And so I want to go back and just talk about repentance being a fruit of faith and how reprint, repentance does bring about a change in life. Again, we are concerned about easy believism. We're concerned about false professions. We don't like revivalism where you can just say a prayer and then just go live however you want. Reformed theology does not agree with that. So I want to just go back and look at the the book of Acts for just a little bit. It's very interesting. In Acts chapter 2, 38-41, obviously this is Peter's sermon at Pentecost, very famous. Peter said to them, Repent! 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. It's interesting what we see Luke report in the book of Acts. He reports the actual content of Peter's sermon. Peter says, repent. It's a command. But notice in verse 41, Luke also records the response. They received his word. It's interesting. Luke doesn't say they repented, but it says they received or welcomed his word, which can be a little bit confusing. Did they repent or did they believe? And we'll talk about that in just a few moments, just the way it's reported in the book of, of, of Acts. Acts eleven twenty one, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now notice the order here in Acts eleven twenty one, the hand of the Lord was with them. This signifies the power of regeneration. God sovereignly worked in the effectual calling to bring about a response. And so, what's the response? Well, a great number believed. This is the first verb in the sentence. It's in the aorist active, which means at a point in time they believed. And, and then secondly, right after that, that's the verb epistrepho. It's not metanoio, which is the verb for re- repent. Epistrepho is another verb that carries the same idea of turning. It says they turned to the Lord. It's also in the aorist active. So in that passage of scripture, they believed and then they repented. Uh, They didn't repent first and believe, but they believed and repented. And then in Acts 17, 30, verse 34, I mentioned this in the previous podcast, but Paul is again at Mars Hill. He's confronting um, the idol of the unknown God. He's preaching to the Athenians. And and Paul says, the time of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man he's appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with him. Again, Paul is preaching and Luke records the content of his sermon. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but he now commands all people everywhere to repent. Paul calls them to repent in his sermon, if you will. But then in verse 34, Luke records the response. It says some men joined him and believed. Notice Luke does not say some men joined him by repenting and believing. He just says they believed. And so here's a theological truth we need to understand. We are justified by faith alone not our repentance. Nowhere does the Bible say we are justified by our repentance. But nevertheless, we must call people to repent of their sins because we see Jesus doing that. We see the apostles doing that. It's part of the gospel proclamation to call people to repent. 
And we know theologically that if a person does repent, that change is a fruit of saving faith. When a sinner is commanded to repent, is that repentance just a one-time decision to turn away from sin that's self-generated and then merits forgiveness? Are we justified by our repenting, or does the Bible teach we are justified by faith alone? You see, when we understand that both faith and repentance are gifts sovereignly given to us by God in our regeneration, we can understand that the order, that, the faith, that faith comes first, and then repentance flows from that new nature. And here's where regeneration preceding faith is so important. Why this is the crux of what we believe as Reformed theologians. Um, our Arminian and our provisionist friends, those who hold to libertarian free will, they'll argue that once the gospel appeal is preached to a sinner, that sinner has the ability to repent and believe. And the reason why is because they deny total inability. They don't teach that the will is in bondage to sin, that the person is spiritually dead, that they are totally unable morally or spiritually to come to faith in Christ. They, they deny that. Whereas we in the Reformed theology understand that the bondage is in will and that we are totally depraved and totally unable. So here's the order for a provisionist. There's the external call of the gospel. It goes out to everybody. They deny an internal call or an effectual call given solely to the elect. They don't, they don't believe in that. And then when that external call goes out, the sinner has enough information now in the gospel to make a decision. So the sinner repents. Repentance is not a gift. It's something they can do when confronted with sin. When they're under conviction by the preaching of the gospel, they can choose to repent. And then once a person believes in Jesus after repenting, that's their choice as well. It's not a gift. It's, again, something they can do when they hear the gospel. So once a person uses their libertarian free will to repent and believe, then, as a result, they're born again. Or they're regenerated as a result of their believing. So in the provisionist view, both repentance and faith become a decision, a libertarian free will decision, at a point in time that is generated by a will that's not in bondage to sin or totally unable to come to create faith in Christ morally or spiritually because of spiritual deadness. And that's why many non-reformed preachers will focus so much on decisionism or revivalism or altar calls to get people to quote-unquote make that decision for Christ in that moment. There's got to be that crisis moment where the person makes the decision. And there needs to be some type of outward evidence of faith and repentance. What's that outward evidence? Maybe, maybe it's they're crying. Maybe it's they say a sinner's prayer. Maybe they raise a hand. Maybe they fill out a card. But in their minds, there needs to be a definitive point in time where a sinner said yes to Jesus. They repented and believed. And as a result of their repenting and believing through their libertarian free will, then they are regenerated. Now, the Reformed view is so different we do call sinners to repent and believe, but we understand the order of salvation to be different than the provisionists. There is an external call to all people, yes, but we also believe at the same time the Holy Spirit inwardly or effectually calls the elect and sovereignly grants them new life. 
they are regenerated by sovereign grace. And so in that regeneration, in that implanting of new life, the will that was in bondage to sin is now liberated. It's freed. And so the freed will can now trust in Christ alone as Savior and Lord. And we believe that the faith that was exercised to believe in Jesus was itself a gift of grace. So from that renewed nature that has trusted in Christ, then flows repentance as a total change of life, not merely a a, a decision at a point in time. Now, I I made reference to Sinclair Ferguson's book, The Whole Christ, in my previous podcast, and I want to just quote from that again because I think he makes a good definition of repentance. He says, quote, Repentance is not a discrete external act. It is turning round of the whole life in Christ. Repentance, then, is not a punctiliar decision of a moment, but a radical heart transformation that reverses the whole course of life. In the context of faith, the repentant sinner is immediately, fully, and finally justified at the very beginning of the Christian life. So what he's saying there is that we are justified by faith in Christ. And that repentance is not some outward act like penance or something that we do that would earn God's favor, but because it is a whole heart transformation, God does this work that he changes our whole course of life. And then Ferguson again quotes from Thomas Boston, the Puritan. And Thomas Boston said this, Christ should be presented in all the fullness of his person and work. Faith then directly grasps the mercy of God in him. And as it does so, the life of repentance is inaugurated as its fruit. So there is a direct grasping or receiving of Christ in his mercy, in his person and work that's presented to us. And then repentance is the fruit. Now, from repentance comes true change. Genuine saving faith will produce a changed life. A changed life of repentance, of obedience, of commitment, of treasuring, of supremely desiring God as our, as our ultimate treasure. And so we agree with John MacArthur and other proponents of Lordship Salvation that genuine faith will produce the fruit of a holy life of repentance. We also don't want to engage in easy believism or decisional regeneration or revivalism that gives the sinner the impression that he or she can just trust in Jesus and they can continue to live in unrepentant sin, that there is no change. We just have a distinction of categories that help us not to confuse justification with sanctification. So we could say it this way. We are justified by faith alone And that faith is a gift from God that rests and receives Christ as both Savior and Lord. Now remember the three parts of faith, knowledge, assent, and trust. There is in that faith a knowledge that our sin deserves God's wrath. A knowledge that Jesus alone died on the cross and paid for that sin. There's an assent that I am a sinner who deserves hell. I need the forgiveness that only Jesus can give. There's a knowledge and and an assent that I need to repent. I need to confess and own up to my sins and that I deserve God's wrath. And so when there's knowledge, assent, and trust, when I trust in Christ, when I rest in Christ alone, I am immediately justified. 
I am permanently, instantaneously declared righteous by the Father only on the grounds of the imputed righteousness of Christ. It's a legal declaration. God declares me not guilty in justification. But we also understand that there is another category. There's regeneration. This is the inward working of the Holy Spirit that gives us new life. We're made into a new creation. And because we've been regenerated, we now have new desires. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We've been given repentance as a gift, and repentance is a total change of life. It's not just a moment-in-time decision. And that repentance flows as a fruit from that saving faith. And that fruit will continue to show growth. There will be a changed life. That is sanctification. Uh, J. Gresham Machen, in his book, Christianity and Liberalism, which came out in 1923, an excellent book that everybody needs to read. When he's talking about faith and he's talking about salvation, he says this, quote, The object of faith is Christ. Faith, then, according to the Christian view, means simply receiving a gift. To have faith in Christ means to cease trying to win God's favor by one's own character. That man who believes in Christ simply accepts the sacrifice which Christ offered on Calvary. And here's what he says that's important. The result of such faith is a new life in all good works. But the salvation itself is absolutely a free gift of God. So there is a result of a new life and good works that flow out of that faith. And that faith was a gift that comes through regeneration. Sam Waldron, who has written a good commentary on the 1689 uh, Confession of Faith, a modern exposition, says this. He says, Repentance focuses on God and His law. Faith focuses on Christ and His grace. Repentance and faith possess different roles in salvation. The Bible never asserts that we are justified by repentance. Faith highlights the grace that works salvation. Repentance highlights the change that salvation works. It is the necessary response of a regenerated soul to God and sin. So the Westminster Catechism gives a good explanation of the relationship between repentance and faith. So question 87 in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is repentance unto life? Here's the answer. Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose and of endeavor after new obedience. Now notice very carefully what they say. It's a saving grace. Repentance is a saving grace. It's not something we produce. We cannot produce repentance. It's something God gives to us as a gift. But notice that it's a turning and hatred of our sin. But notice that little qualifier they put in there an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. That's basically saving faith. When you trust in the mercy of God in Christ, you are saved, you are justified by faith. And so where there is true saving faith, there will always be genuine repentance. And where there's genuine repentance, there'll always be saving faith. They go hand in hand. Louis Burkhoff says this, about repentance. According to Scripture, repentance is wholly an inward act and should not be confounded with the change of life that proceeds from it. 
Confession of sin and reparation of wrongs are fruits of repentance. Repentance is only a negative condition and not a positive means of salvation. While it is the sinner's present duty, it does not offset the claims of the law on account of past transgressions. Moreover, true repentance never exists except in conjunction with faith, while on the other hand, wherever there is true faith, there is also true repentance. The two are but different aspects of the same thing, a turning from sin in the direction of God. Again, he defines repentance as an inward act, an act of grace, a change of mind that does show forth fruits. The fruits of repentance are confession of sin and a changed life. Now, Sinclair Ferguson has written a very good little article on the Ligonier website called Faith and Repentance, and I'm going to quote from Sinclair Ferguson. He says, Does the necessity of repentance and conversion constitute a kind of work that detracts from the empty-handedness of faith? Does it compromise grace? In a word, no. Sinners must always come empty-handed. But this is precisely the point. By nature, my hands are full of sin, self, and my own good deeds. However, hands that are full cannot hold on to Christ in faith. Instead, as they take hold of him, they're emptied. That which has prevented us from trusting him falls inevitably to the ground. The old way of life cannot be retained in hands that are taking hold of the Savior. Yes, repentance and faith are two essential elements in conversion. They constitute twin graces that can never be separated. Twin graces that can never be separated. They're different, but they go together. John Calvin has famously taught about the what they call the double grace or the duplex gratia, the double grace. And he writes this, quote, First, being reconciled by the righteousness of Christ, God becomes to us instead of a judge, a loving father. And secondly, being sanctified by the Spirit, we aspire to integrity and purity of life. Okay, there's a double grace in the gospel. The first is justification by faith alone. We are reconciled to God through Christ. He is no longer a judge that looks down upon us and declares us guilty on account of our sin. But because of the imputed righteousness of Christ, God can relate to us as a loving father, legally declaring us to be righteous in Christ. That's the first grace in the gospel. That's justification. But yet he says there's a second grace. Being sanctified by the spirit or sanctification, we aspire to integrity and purity of life. Because we have been justified, we will, as Calvin says, aspire to integrity and purity of life. We'll grow to be more like Jesus. We'll mature in Christ through obedience. We are new creations in Christ, and we're to walk in the newness of life, bearing fruit for Him. So all true believers have been justified by faith alone in our initial salvation. And at the same time, all true believers will continually and progressively be sanctified in that we're growing in holiness and Christ-likeness. So if we can get the duplex gratia, the double grace, correct, that sanctification is an outflow of justification, which comes first. We are justified by faith alone. Not works, not repentance, not commitment, not surrender, not treasuring. We are justified by grace alone. From that flows 
repentance and all of the elements that come in our sanctification. That integrity to walk in purity of life, the commitment to Christ, the treasure in Christ, the obedience, the bearing fruit, all those come as graces through the Holy Spirit, but it's in the category of sanctification, the outflow of our Christian life. So we are justified at a point in time, instantaneously, permanently, judiciously, not from our own works, not from our own surrender, not from our own repentance, but on the merits of Christ through faith alone. And that is a permanent position. And that's a gift that God gives us in justification as well as the faith to even believe in Jesus. And from that renewed nature, not infused righteousness, but we're declared legally righteousness, but Inwardly, we are regenerated, and from the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit changing us into a new nature, then flows from that new nature repentance, a total change of life. And that repentance is never perfect. It's ongoing. We are growing to be more like Jesus. There's ebbs and flows in our Christian life, but we're, we're growing in our commitment. We're growing in understanding His Lordship. We're growing in our surrender. It's never perfect until we step foot in heaven, but we have the grace of the Holy Spirit living in us to give us the power and the desire to become more like Christ in the process of sanctification. So I hope this clarifies some of the statements that I made in my previous podcast. Sometimes when you record podcasts, you, you say so much and you leave out so much and you, you, you realize, ah, I didn't say that the right way and maybe I gave the impression of this or that. So I just want to bring a little bit of clarity as a follow-up to my previous podcast on the distinction between law and gospel. Again, thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, I have so many listeners from all across the world and I appreciate you listening. If you have any questions or clarifications or disagreements or whatever, I love for you to email me. Um, you can go to seancole.net and get all my contact information. Um, I'd love to interact with you. Maybe you have an idea for a future podcast. Love to do that as well. So like I always say, may we all keep our eyes fixed on Jesus.